1: Celebrate.
2: Twenty minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Packaday Podcast.
3: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Willen. I'm joined by Gage Bridgeford and Brendan And Guys, as we get ready, as we inch closer and closer to the football season, it's looking more and more promising every day. Coaches are allowed to go back into the buildings. Players are meeting with coaches virtually. And it's, it's, getting, it's getting that time where we can start talking about rosters and training camps and draft classes and, and everything like that. So, I guess, guys, how's it going?
4: Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, doing well. Enjoying kind of having the day off. Gotten some stuff done around the yard and whatnot this morning and enjoying the nice weather outside. What
5: about you, Brent? I'm doing good as well. I just got done with an eight-mile run, training for a half marathon, so that's a blast. But I'm ready to talk some Packers football.
3: No doubt about it. and. For this edition of the Pack Podcast, we figured we'd like to do some redrafting. And over the past decade or so, it's been some good, some middling, and some not so good as far as how the Packers have drafted. And of course, hindsight's always twenty-twenty. But when you get a chance to redraft, it always makes things a little more interesting to think of what could have been and w- what the scouting was at the time and how that changed. And and so with the with the ideas and. I'm trying to remember which one of you guys came up with the idea and just... That was me. So, Nate, so if you want to just explain what your idea was and how, how we broke it down, then we can kind of dive right into it.
4: So, this is something I started thinking about about three weeks ago, was the narrative around Ted Thompson wasting the prime of Aaron Rodgers and by just... Having multiple whiffs in draft classes and just uh, constantly missing on players, and obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. At the time, picks will look great or look whatever. So I had considered turning it into like an article series, but I but when I saw that we were thinking about topics for this, I was like, this is a perfect topic for something for a podcast. Was go through a draft class, like everybody picks one draft class, and you go through and you redraft the whole thing. You're not allowed to trade up. You're not allowed to pick guys that are off the board first. So, for instance, you can't take Cam Newton out of the 2011 class or Von Miller or whatever. You can only take guys that were on the board after Green Bay's pick. And in some classes that's a little easier because there's more late-round talent and some classes it's a little more difficult. Like that 2011 class was loaded at the top, multiple all-pros and all that. So uh, I just thought it'd be something interesting and fun to see kind of how we would all redo things if we were the one in charge.
3: And, and I liked that strategy, and we all kind of dove into it. So I, I had a 2011 class. We'll start with that. Gage, you had 2013. Brendan, you had 2015. So you had the tougher tasks, so I don't envy the work you had to put in to try and figure this one out.
5: Yeah, the 2015 class was obviously Ted Thompson's probably worst draft class Um I mean, it is. It was actually easy finding other players that were actually just better choices, but there was a lot of other options, so it was difficult to kind of weed in between which ones I was going to make this selection for. Fair enough.
3: So I think we might as well just jump right into it, get going, and I'll start with 2011. And of course, that coming off a Super Bowl championship, however, there was also the lockout during the first part, which kind of wrecked training camp that year, and that we don't know how much that affected some of these draft these draft picks, but. Injuries and ineffectiveness did it kind of hurt this class, so we'll, we'll start at pick 32. The original pick was Derek Sherrod, a tackle out of Mississippi State. We, we, we know what happened with him, battled some injuries uh, early on, then had that horrific broken leg against Kansas City and never really was the same. In the redraft, I took Justin Houston, who was an edge rusher out of Georgia. He was picked 70th overall. And when you look at this draft class, is there any way he doesn't go top 10 if you were redrafting now?
5: I honestly don't think so. I mean, 2011, I guess you could maybe, uh, yeah, Jake Locker right there. He was just replacing with Jake Locker, 2011. But yeah, like Gage already said, the 2011 class was loaded up right. You got Newton, Von Miller, Marcel Darius, A.J. Green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones. So I think there's a way you could slide in the top 10 there. I honestly think it'd be kind of close. I mean, like, I think Justin Houston had a really high
4: peak. I think Cameron Jordan and Cameron Hayward have both had really, like, long time, like, long stretches of production. I think that he probably would make the top ten, but it would be damn close because there's some guys that were in the top ten that could make their own case. Like, J.J. J. Watt was 11 in this class.
3: Yeah, J.J. J. Watt, Mike Pouncey, Ryan Kerrigan, Nate Solder, all went... In the first round, not in the top ten Muhammad Wilkerson was one of them as well Jimmy Smith like, You're right, this, this first round was absolutely loaded And so Seeing Justin Houston at 70 though Was really, really interesting Because some notable luminaries that were picked before him Were Michael Ashore Daniel Thomas Nate Irving So There, it wasn't, there, there were some massive mistakes That were picked before Justin Houston But he turned out Pretty solid for Kansas City so then our, our second-round pick, and this is the one where I didn't change it. I kept it as the same. Pick 64th overall was Randall Cobb. obviously wide receiver out of Kentucky. And easy easy to make that re-pick. He became one of the better receivers in the NFL for quite a while. He was probably top 20, top 25 as a receiver, top 10 as a slot guy. And he had the trust of Rodgers. He knew how to uh, do broken plays. He could return kicks, return punts. And he was a leader on this team. And I think that was one of the better picks that Thompson made post-Super Bowl era or post-Super Bowl championship. And I don't see any way that you could really change that pick. No, looking at
5: the third round... The only player that I would have even taken would be Justin Houston, which you already take, took. So, yeah, I agree with you. I don't. I think this is a slam dunk pick.
4: The only player that I could maybe argue would be Jarrell Casey, and I think at the time, like, Green Bay had a really strong defensive front, so that wasn't as huge of a need. And especially if you get Justin Houston early, you don't need another guy on the line as much. So, yeah, I like the cop pick.
3: Okay, and and also that being said, the, just the implications of going beyond what this class could have done, because you, you'd have had Justin Houston and Clay Matthews rushing the passer. You probably don't take Nick Perry the next year, and and just, it just kind of snowballs after that. But again, hindsight is 2020. This one uh, in the third round, luckily I was able to keep things pretty close to what the original pick w- from their position. Alex Green was taken in the third round at 96 overall, a running back out of Hawaii. I took KJ Wright. Who was drafted 99th, a linebacker to Mississippi State, and a guy where he's been pretty solid for the past decade for Seattle. He was—he's never been a star. He's always kind of overshadowed by other guys in that Seattle defense. But he's always been kind of, kind of the glue on that defense when he's not getting thrown out for punching Richard Rodgers. Yeah, that was a really good pick.
4: Like I was sitting here looking at your board, and I saw Alex Green, and I'm like, I—if he doesn't take KJ Wright, I'm going to be stunned here.
5: Yeah, I agree with Gage. I think that's the best pick there, too, as well. Katie right? like you said, hasn't really been a star, but he's also been overshadowed by guys like Bobby Wagner. So I think that's a great pick. Also helps solve the revolving door at middle linebacker that the Packers have had. For sure. In the
3: the fourth round at pick 131, the Packers took Devon House, cornerback from New Mexico State. When I originally did this, I had kept him there, but then I looked at the undrafted players list. And there's a couple here that I'm going to be taking in here. And this will be my first undrafted game. That's Chris Harris, quarterback out of Kansas. How this guy didn't get drafted, I don't know. But he's become easily a top ten corner in the NFL and the work he did with Denver was lights out. Now he's over with the Chargers with Casey Haber and, and and this guy there's talk last year about trying to trade for him or bring him in and and he is quickly be, he quickly became an elite corner in this league and was one of the key members of that, that Super Bowl championship in Denver
4: yeah i didn't even realize chris harris was in this draft and i'm just jealous that you got to pick him and i honestly wasn't sure who you were going to go with at this pick because there's another corner on the board that i think and, that, and he will be coming up next i was like he might be <laughs> taken still but yeah uh chris harris great pick um great corner uh been just super sound all throughout his career um, and he was a perfect compliment to leave when they had that dominant defense in the like early two, 2010s.
5: Yeah, no, add Chris Harris to this defense that was in place after the Super Bowl, and not be talking about another great defense with Charles Woodson playing too. So yeah, one of the best slot corners in the NFL. I think that would be a great pick.
3: And with this next corner, that I'm going to take in round five. Could you imagine Harris Woodson? Tramon Williams, Sam Shields, and now in round five, Richard Sherman. Uh, in, in round five, Packers took. originally took D.J. Williams at 141 at tight, tight, tight end. Richard Sherman was still out there. He got picked 154 by Seattle, and he's become one of the best, one of the best talkers, one of the one of the best community leaders as well off the field as well, and also an elite corner who can, who's better playing off man, but he's got great ball skills. He he's got that swagger and. Him and Woodson would have been a lot of fun to see matched up outside together.
5: Yeah, with the offense the Packers had in place in 2011, and then you had that secondary in place, and then Justin Houston on the defense as well. I think we might be talking uh, a lombardi trophy if that's how the draft had unfolded. Yeah, Sherman would have just given you that big body corner
4: on the outside that Green Bay has never really had. Like They've had guys that they try to put in that role, uh, but he would have been... A compliment to the speed of Sam Shields who Shields obviously is sticky in man coverage he's got speed and ball skills but he's not he never had just the raw size that Sherman has and I've never been the biggest Sherman fan from is he the best corner in the game just because you got guys like Pat Pete and even Darius play who just stick and cover guys everywhere but I've always respected the talent that he has and he plays his role so well.
3: Agree and then moving into round 6 is where the, the fun really begins Because we've talked for years about the Packers solidifying that backup quarterback spot, and they originally took Caleb Schlauteraff, a guard out of Utah who they traded in camp for a future draft pick. Picked one pick right after was Tyrod Taylor, quarterback out of Virginia Tech, and Matt Matt Flynn was a good backup, but the Packers are always looking for that other backup behind Rodgers in case Flynn were to leave, and of course he eventually did leave after he got paid for throwing six touchdowns in a game. Tyrod Taylor a guy who has curved out a career still in the NFL he's still expected to start this year he, he's a guy where at the very worst you know you have a top tier backup he can run he can throw a little bit he's definitely shown the willingness to do whatever the coach ask asking of him when he was in Buffalo and now in the, with, with LA and I, I in round six, I, I, don't, I, I think that was pretty much a can't-miss pick for me.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's when he started for the Bills, too, he was even solid. Now he's going to be starting for the Chargers. I think that would be a great pick to be the backup for Aaron Rodgers. The only other player that I would say is maybe a center that maybe you are going to take with the next one, but it's Jason Kelsey is another guy that I saw that maybe... Packers could have taken there.
4: Yeah, I uh, had a similar thought, and I was willing to give Mike the benefit of the doubt that that next pick was going to be that, because obviously this is in the middle of that transition of centers that Green Bay was going through. Like, Scotty Wells, I'm pretty sure, just walked out the door, was getting ready to draft Kelsey and give you your center for the next decade, and he's been, like, a multi-time All-Pro. But, yeah, having Taylor to back up Rodgers with, uh, like, he had the collarbone injury. Was that the next year that he had
3: that? Do I remember right? 2013. Oh, that was 2013.
4: So two years later, he would have still had a guy that's uh, got some mobility to him, got, and he's a really, like, fundamentally sound player and would have been a better pick than a guard who never even saw the
3: deal. And you guys are both right it? with the sixth round. At 186, he originally took DJ Smith. Uh, undersized linebacker from Appalachian State, who actually did start a couple games uh, as, as a young guy. But yeah, Jason Kelsey was there at 191. That that was a, a no-brainer pick. He, he's been he's been one of, if not the best center in football for the past five years or so in Philadelphia, and he is an, e- an easy pick there. And I, I, when I was doing this, I tried to keep as close as I could to the original pick, so that's why I didn't move Kelsey up. That's so why I didn't move Sherman up or Tyrod Taylor. But with Kelsey at 191, Again, another spectacular move by the Philadelphia to get that kind of a steal that late in the draft, and that's what separates the good teams from the great teams is being able to find guys in those day three picks who can become these long term starters.
2: Yeah,
4: he was a he was a super like I didn't even realize he was drafted that late. I it just it, when I saw his name here this far down in the draft, I was honestly surprised to just see that he was somehow still here. I don't know if he was just supremely undersized or what the issue was with him coming out of college, but he's turned out to be an outstanding pick and one of the best
5: values we've seen in the last decade in the draft. Yeah, you know, like you already said, Mike, he's one of the best centers in the league right now, and all i got to say is I'm sorry I spoiled uh, your next pick there with the Chelsea.
3: That's what makes these things so great, and but but moving on to the end of round six, I pick 197, and this is one of only a few picks who got cut before the season started and never got even invited back to the practice squad. That was Ricky Elmore. Um, kind of a hybrid, not not quite an edge, not quite a defensive end from Arizona. Was a really productive college player, but just could not put it together in the preseason training camp. He never looked, never looked comfortable there, and he never really made it. And in a replacement, this is where I would with my second undrafted player. And, and this is a guy I was surprised he went undrafted considering the fact the career that he's had. And that's Mario Addison, defensive line-out defensive of Troy, who originally got signed by the Bears, ended up finding a spot in Carolina, and has 55 sacks in his career. He, he's had three nine-sack seasons with the Panthers with, with really good length, good size. He would have been the perfect replacement for Colin Jenkins, I think. And, and see that guy go. Another guy, like Chris Harris, going undrafted. It's it is amazing to see some of these guys who don't get picked but still find out and they're able to carve ten year careers in the NFL and be productive and, and be starters.
5: Yeah, like you said, he uh, would have been a perfect replacement for Colin Jenkins. You can never have enough of those guys that have that length and need after the quarterback. So I think again, another great pick. I, I can't believe that he actually went undrafted. I didn't even know that.
4: Yeah, one thing I've noticed in this, uh, like just looking through these undrafted guys, is there's a, there's a few like guys that have been great, like Chris Harris, uh, and then a couple others that I don't want to spoil because you might mention them later, but like Dan Bailey and Patrick DeMarco, who are all Pro Bowl players and stuff. But there's a lot of guys that have carved out expensive careers, like even Byron Bell was in this class. He's never been an outstanding guy, but he's been a starter for multiple teams. Obviously Addison, who you just grabbed here, has been a Good, uh, good end starter, and then there's multiple other guys on here that have had solid careers, and it shows that you don't have to necessarily get drafted or be a high draft pick to go on and have like a starting level career in the NFL.
3: No, absolutely. I know you guys are probably thinking I was going to say Doug Baldwin somewhere. However, I I, I I did have that thought. Yeah. However, I will not because that 2011 team didn't need receivers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> There, there is no point, and they just say we have already, we already have Randall Cobb taken, and I, I just didn't see the need for another receiver going in. Mean, you have uh, health uh, in his prime, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Randall Cobb. You still got Donald Driver there, and you have the original Jake Kumerow and Brett Swain. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so a receiver to me wasn't as big a need, so I, I didn't take Doug Baldwin. I thought about it, and but I but I but I don't think I think in Seattle was the perfect spot for him too as well. So I think that was keep him there and in in rounds.
4: I was going to say honestly when you
3: said backup quarterback
4: earlier, I thought you were going to say Scotty Tolzine, but it's fine. So being a good
3: Wisconsin boy, I thought about it, but not, <laughs> not that high in the draft. Fine. I, I did like Scotty though. But in round seven, pick two hundred eighteen, the Packers took Ryan Taylor, a tight end out <laughs> of North Carolina. I kept that pick. Uh, Taylor was a vital special teams guy his, his tenure in Green Bay And that might be one of the things That Ted Thompson may have regret the most In the 2014 We'll not talk about it game Where they had cut Taylor early in the season And we saw what happened To the guy who stayed on the roster uh, In special teams without Taylor there But he he was a, a key special teamer He was a good player Good blue collar type guy and in round seven, you take a guy like that when you have
4: him. If you can get a guy that's going to contribute for you, even on special teams, on the third day of the draft in the 200-plus picks, that's, that's a no-brainer.
5: Like you said, that's just, you make that pick. Yeah, and there's nobody really even on the board that I think you would even want to take besides Ryan Taylor at that point. So I think that would be a great pick, a guy that can help with special teams like you already mentioned.
3: For sure. And then my last pick is is it's the one that got away. At pick two to thirty-three, the Packers took defensive lineman Lawrence Guy out of Arizona State. He battled some injuries in Green Bay, bounced around a bit, but he has found a home in New England. He's got a couple Super Bowls. He's a starter. He's getting paid, and he is—he is another guy where if you keep him in that defensive line rotation with Mario Addison, but hypothetically Mario Addison, but then you have B.J. Raji, you get you keep Howard Green around. You have this defensive lineman rotation that can really solidify things and and Guy has been the ultimate blue collar type player he's fit so well in New England as that that kind of just that base 3-4 guy that, that he that him being picked 233 was a smart pick they just didn't keep him around long enough to let it pan out
4: I honestly, I was a little nervous when I saw that he was the pick. I was just listening to a podcast this morning where they were talking about the most underrated players in the NFL, and Lawrence Guy was the one they mentioned. And I saw that he was the pick, and I'm like, just leave him. Don't don't change it. It's not broken. Don't fix it. Just leave it as it is. And then you did, and I was like, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. So I love leaving it. Uh, he's been, like you said, he's been a solid contributor for... New England um, would have given you an even deeper defensive line rotation, and that's what you need. You want guys that can go for all four quarters and having this many productive players on the defensive front would do that.
5: Yeah, and like you mentioned, Mike, earlier about uh, Ryan Taylor, Ted Thompson cutting them right before the season, I think uh, Thompson may have regretted cutting Lawrence Guy so early because, like you said, he has kind of developed into one of those solid rotational pieces. that could help Green Bay this past season against the run. So I think it's one of those things, like you said, he got away, and I think Ty Townsend's probably uh, kicking himself over that.
3: Absolutely. And so to wrap things up again, hindsight is very much 2020. This is ten, almost 10 years ago. The Packers, if they had redrafted, they were, we could have taken Justin Houston, Randall Cobb, K.J. Wright, Chris Harris, Richard Sherman, Tyrod Taylor, Jason Kelsey, Mario Madison, Ryan Taylor, and Lawrence Guy without trading up or moving around from their original picks that they had when they made these picks originally nine years ago. That's quite the class. And and, granted, you probably won't be able to keep all of them. You have to start paying them eventually. But for a couple of years, probably through 2014 or 2015, you could be looking at another Lombardi or two in that spot. Especially in 2014, because there's obviously Sherman's and KJ Red aren't playing for Seattle anymore. That changes things entirely.
4: That would made things so much sweeter.
3: Just like thinking back that that could
4: have been... Like, who could have been on that team and would have just made life exponentially easier? Because when you have good players that make life easier on everyone else, that allows everyone else to make plays. That's why great defenses seem to have talent everywhere because they have talent everywhere that can elevate, that makes everyone else's jobs a little bit easier and allows them to do a little bit more with it.
5: Yeah, like I already mentioned earlier, if you add those players to that defense or that offense, we could be talking about, like you already said, another Lombardi trophy or maybe even two, which is how talented that offense was. 100%.
3: 100%. And so that's 2011. Let's move forward a couple of years. Let's go to 2013, which is a very fascinating case study for the Packers. As well, and Gage, you took that one, so I'll let you take the reins on this one. How do we redraft 2013? All right.
4: So in the first round, we took Dayton Jones. He was the first round pick, 26th overall, which, you know what? He had a he was around in Green Bay for a few years. He was okay, but looking back, I'm gonna go ahead and change that to a guy named DeAndre Hopkins, who has been a multi-time All-Pro. He gives you a big compliment, wide receiver, to just really round out that trio of what was at the time Nelson and Nelson and Cobb, and then you had the ghost of James Jones at the time. So you got that's that's a terrifying foursome for teams to have to try and slow down, especially if you got. Rodgers back there throwing the ball. Um, it was an easy pick to make. It was one spot. So I only moved up Hopkins one spot at the in this draft. So it was easy money for me to do.
5: Yeah. I, I, looking back at it, I get the Dayton Jones pick and what they were thinking. They just got ran out of the building by the 49ers in the divisional round. But I think it was a few years ago, Rodgers said on the Bill Simmons podcast to show that if he could play with one receiver, it would be DeAndre Hopkins. Well, in this scenario, that can happen for him.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I think Hopkins is the easy pick when you look back on it. Obviously, he obviously go top five in a, in, a, in a full redraft. But just kind of looking around, there's other guys who could have been taken, too. Guys like Travis Frederick, Zach Ertz, who could have been, in, if, if you couldn't keep any, Darius Slay. Uh, Robert Woods was another kind of receiver to think about, as well. Even a guy like Le'Veon Bell. Like, there's plenty of guys that did go between the Packers' two picks. But DeAndre Hopkins, is he is arguably the best receiver in the NFL. He's considered to have the best hands. He runs a good routes. He he makes the flex He makes the plays. He's usually pretty quiet, as well. So he's kind of like that quiet leader, that quiet goes about his business, Larry Fitzgerald type guy. Which now he's teammates with in Arizona, but with with Hopkins, I was surprised even on that draft night seeing him drop, because when you look at the numbers he put up at Clemson, it's it's surprising, especially when you look at how bad that first that top ten was with the exception of Wayne Johnson uh, Eric Fisher was, was good but then Luke Jokel, Deion Jordan Zeke Anza, Mingo John Cooper, Tavon Austin D. Milner, Chance Warmack. that's not a good top ten and so to see DeAndre Hopkins on their 27 that that's for if you're Houston, that's all, that's all too much sweeter that he was able to get that far, and you were able to have him for almost 10 years.
4: Yeah, the best part about this draft is just the value comes later and later. Like, your draft had a ton of star talent at the top, and then good players throughout this draft. Just after that top 10, it just gets better as you go along. And so with the next pick, Green Bay originally took Eddie Lacy, who was good, just couldn't stay, like, couldn't keep his weight down, and that... Ultimately, he ended up leaving, going to Seattle, and whatever. So I went just two picks back, and I got Travis Kelsey, who has quickly developed into the best tight end in the NFL. He is better than George Kittle right now, but he is he's the best pass catching guy. His size is great. He's an outstanding run blocker, just as a matchup nightmare, and would instantly have given Green Bay And Rogers, that tight end mismatch that they wanted JerMichael Finley to be, and he just could never quite stay on the field. Versus Travis Kelsey,
5: has been largely healthy throughout his career. So that was an easy, another easy Super easy pick. I'm surprised you didn't go Christine Michael instead of Eddie Lacy.
4: Don't worry, I'm gonna get running back help later. But (laughs) Christine Michael was a close second there, close second behind Travis Kelsey. All
3: right. Yeah, and there's plenty of other guys to get around who you could have taken. You could have taken Honey Badger. Uh, you could have taken Tarett Armstead. There, there's some good talent there. But Kelsey's, Kelsey's such a great fit. And just think if our, our, both our drafts had, had coalesced, that we have both Kelseys, Travis. Yeah. No,
4: mm-hmm. I, I know that would have been great. By the way, there's I could team. have taken Keenan Allen here too. Yeah, but Tyrant Matthew was a consideration. Armstead would have been great. But don't worry, took care of tackle still
3: fair enough, and who, who, you, who you rolling with next.
4: So my next pick originally was David Bakhtiari, and this is the first pick in this draft where I stuck it and left it as is. Bakhtiari has been arguably the best left tackle in the NFL, especially when it comes to pass blocking, uh, since he became a full-time starter. Uh, he doesn't get the respect that he deserves, he's consistently overlooked, despite people that swear by pro football focus will talk him down, despite him consistently grading as a top three tackle. So, uh, is the pick here. That was an easy one to uh, just lock in and keep.
5: Yeah, that, that's a pretty easy one to keep. He's one of the best left tackles, if not the best left tackle in the game. So I think, yeah, you just keep him, protect Aaron Rodgers, and just away we go.
3: Which is really funny, because if, if you read some of the draft guides and some of the scouting reports when he came out, there was talk about, does he move inside? It, does he have the play strength and feet to stay a tackle? Well, obviously, yeah. And I was gonna say, if you had not kept this pick, I was gonna find you and fight you.
4: That's fair. fair. That's <laughs> fair. I would fight me too because it would have made no. It would have made no sense to switch it. Like I saw other players behind him, but it made more sense to keep him as is. He's been, he's been everything you could have hoped for out of a fourth round pick.
3: Especially when you factor in that this draft had tackles go one two. Yeah he's probably is he taking those two one of those two picks now mm-hmm. in the redraft I don't know um, I think you
4: might run into the so let's see Lane Johnson I think if Lane Johnson could just lay off the juice, he'd be in consideration for that and then Teron Armstead Bakhtiari Fisher's still I think they a good. good player but yeah yeah, I think that those are your top three tackles in this class. Um, I don't think there's any really argument against that. So I think Bakhtiari has a strong case to be taken in that top two, but just that's where that's where I stand on it.
3: All right, who you got at 122? Originally at 122,
4: we had J.C. Shredder, who for Green Bay was a rotational guy, but he's developed into a starter for uh, Cleveland, which is awesome. But uh, he was not my pick here. With this pick, I went a little outside the box, and I got Kyle Juszczyk. Um, I went, yep, I went with a fullback uh, I went, who has been one of the best, if not the best fullback in the NFL over the past four or five years since he's been drafted he gives uh, Green Bay that powerful blocker in the run game uh, this is the latter stages of John Kuhn's tenure with Green Bay so uh, I think that that would have given a check a little bit of time to learn under him and then develop kind of how he did under, I believe it was Vontae Leach in Baltimore uh, and He's been a cons- he's a consistent receiver. Like he's caught at least 19 balls every year since he became a full time starter back in 2014. Uh, it gives you some power in the run game. And I I was I was a little confused about how I was going to go about this pick, but I felt that Uchek would be the best option here with just his strength. And he's still only 29 years old. He's still young too.
5: Yeah, no, I like that pick. I, like you said, it was the latter stages of John Kuhn's career, so I think he could have stepped in eventually and maybe even been even more what John Kuhn was. The guy on third down that like, kind of sits in there and protects Rodgers, goes out in the flat for security blanket. So I think that's a good pick.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. It's a very good pick. And I do like the fact that he kept in the Ivy League from Cornell to Harvard. Uh, and Jason Kidd doesn't always let you know he's from Cornell, so he's not quite Andy Bernard. But And, and also... With obviously we see the sh- how good use check is now, and uh, with the Packers drafting a guy who they're expecting to, to use like him in in real time in 2020, it took Josiah DeGuara, who they're planning on using in that same way. So to get the original model, can't go wrong with it. Exactly.
4: Uh- A few picks later, Green Bay took Jonathan Franklin at 125, running back out of UCLA. And I told you guys I was going to get running back help later. It's not going to be Jonathan Franklin. I almost put Denard Robinson in this spot. I really did. But then I looked a little later, and I got Latavius Murray, uh, who was originally taken much later. Where where are you at, Latavius? 181. 181. He was originally taken much later. I I still get running back help. I get a bigger guy. He's not quite Eddie Lacy big. But he's a bigger guy. He gives you the he gives you some pass catching ability out of the backfield. Um, he gave that gives them that next starting running back. Uh, and then could you imagine trying to slow down a run attack that's got check and Latavius Murray coming out of the backfield? It's just gonna be a problem. They're just so big. So much size there.
5: No, I like that pick a lot. Latavius like you like you said, he's not quite Eddie Lacey, but he has maybe a little more juice. So I think that's a good pick, especially in the fourth round, you get uh, Rodgers r- running back out.
3: No, I'm with you. Yeah, Latavius Murray's a good pick. And and I, I just can't help but think back now to Jonathan Franklin and feel so bad because I thought he was going to be better than Lacey coming out of that draft because he had everything. He had the speed. He had the the agility to be that Thunder and Lightning combo. But, man, neck injuries are no joke. And when he got hurt, I remember just being devastated. And luckily for him, he's able to carve out a good role off the field. He he was with the Packers for a little bit doing community outreach stuff. Now, and now I think he's over at Notre Dame. He wasn't back at his alma mater UCLA for a while, but I think he's now at Notre Dame doing some stuff like that. So so good on him. But yeah, uh, when you redraft, obviously you can't you factor an in injury. So Latavius Murray is the right pick. And then uh, with my next pick,
4: originally Green Bay had taken Micah Hyde, and that's who they're going to take in this redraft. Micah Hyde has, for a fifth-round pick at 159 overall, I'm getting a Pro Bowl-level corner who has now transitioned into a safety. Um, he can give you that multiple look. He can play down in the box. He can play as a coverage safety. He can play slot corner. He does everything that you want, and in this era of multiple defenses where guys aren't just playing one role anymore, that's, Micah Hyde's the perfect fit. Just a couple of years ago, him and uh, a guy that we are going to hear about later in this draft were one of the top safety tandems in the NFL, in, and that's and Green Bay has needed like like more work in that deep in that secondary for years. And Hyde, if they don't let him walk out the door, could have been a foundational piece of that. So that was another pick, and I'm like, you know what, you got to write the first time.
5: Yeah, I'm really glad you kept that pick. He's one of my favorite players out of this draft. I think it's really too bad they let him walk. I think they should have moved him to safety and then kind of let him play the Charles Woodson role, the star role a little more. But I love that pick, and I'm glad you kept it.
3: Yeah, I'm with you as well. And and I do have a little personal connection, too. Having, I went to going to college in uh, Iowa. Not to Iowa, but in Iowa. I went to a couple Hawkeyes games, and I got to see Micah Hyde play in college. And he was... He was so much fun to watch even then where they moved, they, they played him in that star role there a lot. He returned punts. He, he was just a playmaker. And the fact that he, I think only his maybe his 40 time moved him down to the fifth round, but all the guy did his entire career was make plays both in college and in the NFL. And, and just seeing a guy like that who may be a little bit limited athletically, but he just continues to shine shows... Shows what the NFL, how good the NFL really is, how good these players are. That the guy who was picked 159th is a, is a Pro Bowl or an All Pro and, ha- and has been a consistent playmaker for two different teams that win this league through seven years.
4: A quick note um, Green Bay can never let defensive players walk to Buffalo again because, as we talked about, Mike, the last time I was on the podcast with you, Bryce Pawk went to Buffalo and then had his best season, was Defensive Player of the Year. And then Micah Hyde. Left Green Bay went to Buffalo has his best season of his career. So that's just anytime the Buffaloes rumored in on a player, Green Bay would just automatically re-sign him. Hmm. And then, so at the next pick, Green Bay had originally taken Josh Boyd out of Mississippi State. Um, and I was I wasn't sure where I was going to go with this pick. Um, I kind of wanted to get some defensive line help, but instead, I went just one pick later and I got Rick Wagner. Uh, Offensive tackles are a premium in the NFL. You've got to have constant. I got a guy who Green Bay just signed this offseason. Whenever Brian Bulaga would have been out with an injury, you would have had Wick Wagner to step in. Um, It would have given you, anytime that you dealt with injuries around the offensive line, you'd have more pieces to put in rather than having to throw in guys that may not be ready for that or may not be suited for that position. So, i got a guy out of Wisconsin who has been a starter for now. It's going to be his third team that he's going to start for. Um, He had kind of a rough tenure in Detroit, but they had signed him to a big-money deal when he left Baltimore for a reason. He's still a talented player, and Green Bay just got him for pennies, essentially, this offseason.
5: Yeah, I really like that pick. When I was looking at that, I was wondering who you were going to take, and I thought maybe it was going to be Ricky Wagner. Like you said, you can never have any... The tag position is one of the most important positions besides quarterbacks. You can never have enough good players at that position. So I really like that redraft pick.
3: I'm with you, as well, especially when you look at it in the hindsight of 2013. Obviously, you drafted Bakhtiari, so obviously he becomes a guy. But you, you, you had Marshall Newhouse starting at left tackle, and that's not ideal. They had moved Brian Belaga to the left side before he got hurt. So if things still play out, then you have Bakhtiari and Wagner starting at tackle. Does Belaga get re-signed and so on and so forth? But having that a uh, third good tackle is always going to be a good thing, especially even in round five. And, and again, I'm never going to say no to a big old Wisconsin boy playing offensive line in the NFL. So if you can stay, and, and another, stay home and do it in Green Bay, go for it. And, and another connection I didn't make until just now, he and I were actually
4: born in the same city of West Allis, Wisconsin. I didn't know that until literally I just was looking at his pro football reference page.
3: Yeah, he played at so. Hale.
4: So, yeah, that just makes Oh, I didn't live in West Dallas. I lived there for like five years and then moved when I was a kid. So I don't know any of the schools, nothing. But I do know that that's where I lived at. And seeing that he's from there, that just makes that pick make all the more sense to me. (laughs) In the next pick, Green Bay originally took Nate Palmer, uh, linebacker out of Illinois State at 193. And here is where, uh, you remember that? safety I talked about earlier, Jordan Poyer out of Oregon State, that's who we're taking here. I just paired up Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer got a couple of defensive backs here. Poyer has been one of the best safeties in the NFL over the last three years with Buffalo. Doesn't get talked about nearly as much. Doesn't put up insane levels of ball production, but uh, he makes plays. He's got 95 plus tackles in all three seasons with Buffalo. Love the work that he does around the ball. Um, real hard worker, and it would have given Green Bay another presence in that secondary that could kind of cover these like tight ends that they have struggled, struggled to cover, especially in the middle part of this decade.
5: Yeah, to uh, get those two picks at safety, Hoyer and Hyde, you don't have to take Huffman and Dix next year in the first round at safety. And plus, with all the work that Mike did in the secondary, Chris Harris were determined, you got quite the secondary built there in Green Bay.
3: Plus, you still have Sam Shields and Tremont Williams. Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah, oh and then we got uh, Richard Sherman too, so it's just it's a it's a juiced up group that we got uh rocking here in Green Bay.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I was wondering what you were gonna do, whether you I because I, I saw Theo Riddick as well down there to match up with Latavius Murray, potentially as like a, that Thunder Lightning guy or or Ryan Griffin who's been a solid tight end. Vince Williams has been alright as well, but yeah, po- Poyer out there, that's and he wasn't even drafted by Buffalo either. He's drafted by Philly.
4: Yeah, no, he played for Philly for one, like one year, I believe, and then he played with. Uh, then he was with Cleveland. Yeah, he got traded to Cleveland that year. Played there for four years, and then had a bad injury his final year in Cleveland. Went and signed in Buffalo, and he's been an outstanding player in Buffalo all three years. He's got five, four, two picks, so 11 picks the last three years. Just love the production that he has around the ball. And then this is actually a pick I'm going to change up on the fly. I originally had Tony Jefferson slotted here, and I was relooking. I was looking back through, and I'm actually going to take my first undrafted free agent. It's the first of three. I'm going with Lane Taylor here, who is a guy that Green Bay has kept around for years. This is probably his last season with Green Bay, um, and I like and I like the work that he's done. I've got plenty of defensive back help now with two safeties in multiple corners that I have back there. And I need some offensive line help. I've gotten two in this draft. I also have Ryan Bulaga already. I want to really solidify that group with a guy like Lane Taylor, who can play anywhere on the interior. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, he's done spot help out on one of the tackle spots in times of, like, big injuries. So I'm getting a guy that isn't the most high-end player in this draft. Tony Jefferson gives you that multiple, like, down-in-the-box safety guy who could have been interesting to pair into, like, as a in-the-box linebacker safety guy. But I'm going to go with Taylor. I think that he gives you more depth on the interior.
5: Yeah, this is for Charles Johnson, right?
3: Yes. Yes, it is.
5: Yeah. I really do like this Lane-Taylor selection. Like you said, he's one of those guys that you can never have enough depth up front and you can play guard or tackle. I think maybe he's even played center. I don't remember if he's ever done that or not. But he's just one of those guys that you keep – Get behind their depth there, and just just a good pick, quality lineman.
3: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't think he's played center, but I, I do remember that Bears game where they had four guards in the center, and he and he kicked out the left tackle and was actually pretty solid. Plus, with him, you also have a a, a world class pitmaster, so he, so he can cook for the team as well. But yeah, Dwayne Taylor's a really solid pick there.
4: All right, next we had Kevin Dorsey at 224. He's out. I'm gonna bring in some more defensive back help because you can never have too many corners in this league that has become really pass-happy. And I got A.J. Bouye, who was undrafted in this class. He's been a Pro Bowl player. Uh, when he was with Houston and Jacksonville, he was a shut-down, shut-down player. Um, it took him a couple years to get his footing under him out of UCF, but he's been outstanding, and Denver just got him for, like, wasn't it like a seventh-round pick or something ridiculous?
3: Mm-hmm. It was a salary dump. Yeah.
4: yeah, so I love getting that pick uh, here. Yeah, I could have gone with uh, another receiver, but I'm going to get more receiver help here in a minute, and I already took Nuke at the front of this draft.
5: So. Yeah, that's another one of those players that we talked about earlier with Mike's pre draft that I'm just surprised that he went a draft. He just turned into such a shutdown corner. You can take one side of the field away for you, so that's another great pick, great find.
3: Agreed, and I always love watching these guys who are in the directional schools, whether it's Central Florida or Northern Michigan or whatever, whatever it may be, in the in these cardinal direction schools that find their way in the NFL. And they're not the biggest schools, not the biggest names, but they make it work. And 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 AJ Boye has been a really good corner for the past few years. And yeah, if he if he's there around seven, you you are sprinting to the phone or whoever you get the pick, in, you are making sure that pick is in.
4: And with our final pick, originally Green Bay had taken at 232, Sam Barrington, a linebacker out of a Cardinal school, South Florida. That is not the pick here. We're going to go ahead and add one more receiver, and we're getting Adam Thielen, who is our final undrafted player. I took three undrafted players in this draft, and I got three guys that are all – two of them are pro bowlers. One of them is a starter. Um, Thielen was on a torrid pace last year. Uh, and not last year, but the year before, uh, when I put up 1,300 yards. He's been developed into a strong player for Minnesota and has had pretty good games against Green Bay a time or two. So I've gotten Adam Thielen and New Hopkins in this draft to go with Jordy and Cobb and everything else. So th- this draft couldn't have turned out any better, in my opinion.
5: Great find. Uh, Minnesota State University, Mankato, horns up. Uh, love Adam Thielen. Great pick.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's not much to say about it. if feeling, feeling, that'd be a good pick there. Came in, played a, really, a lot of really good special teams early on in his career, found his niche as a receiver, and we'll see how he does now as the unquestioned number one without Stefan Diggs there with him. But e- even if he's a guy who is a fourth, fifth receiver and plays special teams, that's great value at that spot. And uh, it's, again, the find by some of these GMs, it's incredible. So, yeah, we've got two pretty fun draft classes so far.
4: Yeah, um, I got multiple pro bowlers, all pros, and then now we get to go and hear how Brennan was able to fix the horrific 2015
5: draft.
0: Yeah, good luck. I mean, here.
3: really,
5: all I have like to find is one starter, and it's fixed, right? I mean, that's all I really don't <laughs>
3: trying to play with a pulse.
5: <laughs> Alright, yeah, so I took the 2015 class, which kind of can be summed up as like watching the last five minutes of the NFC Championship game against the Seahawks. Following such a close call in the NFC Championship game, Thompson really needed to hit a home run in this draft, or even a double, but he struck out on three pitches outside the zone. So I'll get it started here. Uh, first pick, we took Demarius Randall. I'm going to go with the guy that I really wanted him to pick going back then is Eric Kendricks, which it pained me to see him get drafted by the Vikings in the second round a few picks later. He's gotten better each season. He's been in the league. He's a guy that has good coverage skills, sideline to sideline quickness. I think he would have been a great pick. And then, if you think about it, the starting linebackers, the start of the season in 2015, were Sam Barrington and Nate Palmer, so I think that pick speaks for itself. That's
4: honestly not what I thought you were going to do there. Uh, I saw another safety on the board, and I thought we were going to keep with safety and go with Landon Collins. I like the Eric Kendrick's pick, though. He would be an automatic upgrade over Barrington and Palmer, so it's... Makes sense. It's just when you said that you're like, yeah, I wanted this guy. I knew that Collins was high on a lot of people's boards, and he was out of Alabama, and he made a lot of sense, and would have paired really well with uh, the coverage ability of uh, Ha Ha Dix.
3: No, yeah, I'm with the Kendricks pick. I I thought you might go McKinney. Uh, I I actually thought you were gonna go with Preston Smith first, who went 38th.
5: I did see Preston Smith there. I thought about that, but I had just kind of pass on Eric Kendricks. Had a weak position that inside linebacker.
3: Which makes sense. Kendricks is an elite middle linebacker, and yeah, it, it hurt me a lot seeing him be a so Because I was watching with some of my friends down in Iowa who were Vikings fans, and they were rubbing it in my face for three days. I was not happy with them for a while. All
5: right, and in the second round, we took Quentin Rollins, who had a solid rookie season, but just fell off quickly after that. I think he had an injury as well that kind of hurt him. But I'm going to take a wide receiver, Tyler Lockett. Uh, can you imagine a wide receiver deal now of Devontae Adams and Tyler Lockett? And don't forget New Copkins that we got two years
3: before. So
5: true, true. Yeah, we can, we that's quite the it. trio for end throw duo. What wide receiver?
3: And Randall Cobb. <laughs>
5: <laughs> but no, looking back on 2015, that was the year Jordy Nelson also got hurt. And it was the year they brought back James Jones. It was also the year that. Aaron Rodgers was throwing to Jeff Janis and Jared Eberderis in the 2015 uh, Divisional Championship game against the Cardinals. So I think Tyler Lockett definitely would have helped, even in his rookie season. This is
4: another pick where I thought you might go with a couple of different guys, um, like maybe Daniil Hunter or, or Frank Lark, who went right one pick after Rollins. Uh, those were, I, like, I like the Lockett pick. Uh, I thought that he's been outstanding. Fun fact, he's second in the last two years in catch rate behind Michael Thomas.
5: Yeah, I thought about uh, Frank Clark as well, but I, just looking at the roster that was kind of configured at the time, we still have Clay Matthews, I think Julius Peppers, Nick Perry. So I kind of decided to go with a wide receiver instead of an uh, edge player.
4: Yeah, not a not a bad pick. Those were just a couple of the guys that I saw that go mm-hmm. in between uh, the next uh, Green Bay pick.
3: Yeah, I, I thought David Johnson might be a, a, a thought as well. With, with Obviously, at this point, Eddie Lacy was having conditioning issues, so getting another running back could not have hurt. Uh, and I did think Frank Clark, but then I remember the Green Bay style, and Clark came into the draft with so many questions off the field that there's a reason why he fell to he did, and he's become a good player. But but there's a reason why he he fell, and I, I think Green Bay would would have kept him off the probably off their board, and which makes Lockett the the right pick. It it's it just makes sense.
5: Now I'm kind of gonna counteract myself because I just said I didn't want to take an edge player because if we had. Those guys. But in the third round, instead of timeout Montgomery, I took someone's favorite player now, Darius Smith. I think this one's maybe kind of self-explanatory. We saw the impact that Z had for the Packers this past season. As a rookie, he could have came in and played behind Clay, Julius, Nick Perry. He had five and a half stacks as a rookie for the Ravens. Could he have had that reduction with the Packers' rookie year? I don't know. But I think that's one of those picks that you never have enough pass rushers. This was part of the reason why I was debating this class so
4: strongly was I saw that he was here, and I was like, well, how high should I take him? Uh, <laughs> love the pick. Uh, he's been super productive throughout his career. Obviously, he instantly became a team leader and fan favorite with Green Bay, and uh, just and great, great pick. You can't criticize it um, in the slightest.
3: No, you can't. I thought you might go Trey Flowers, uh, but yeah, with, with with Z, like you said, he came in, like he came in, became a leader. He became arguably the face of the team right away. Uh, now Oson coming in to Green Bay last year, and and you see the work he puts in, you see what he does on and off the field. He's a guy where every, any team would love to have a guy the caliber of player and person that Darius Smith is. And and to see him drop as much as he did, and now seeing what he's made of himself, it it's a great find, and and it'd be a steal now.
5: Yeah, can you imagine the NASCAR package that Dom would roll out with uh, Darius, Julius, Clay, and Nick Perry? Yeah, he wow, might just, he might All still right. be employed. All right, in the fourth round, they took uh, Jake Ryan. I'm going to go with Grady Jarrett. Uh, Jarrett has become an absolute force for the Falcons up front. Uh, Can you imagine him working in tandem now with Kenny Clark? Uh, I think having him up front would help cure the Packers' problems against the run over the last three seasons. He's had 17 and a half sacks and 35 tackles for loss, so I think that's one of those picks that you help fortify the front. That's a great pick. Uh, I when I was looking here, at who you
4: might take? I saw Shaq Mason on the board, who hasn't made a Pro Bowl or anything, but he's been a consistent player for New England. And then um, a little further down, there's a guy named Stephon Diggs, who you took Tyler Lockett earlier, and seeing him on the board here, I'm kind of like, do you? Are you? Would you still stick? Like, obviously you can. Could, you could have changed it, and you stuck yeah. Lockett over Diggs anyway.
5: Yeah, I, I tried to keep it close to where they were being picked at. So I did see Diggs and I did that thought did come across the nine, so I take him in the second round? But I decided to go stick with Lockett since he was taken just a few picks later. No problem. No problem. I was curious. Yeah.
3: And, and I was in the I was going to say both, but thinking maybe Adrian Amos, who was picked at 142. So there's so there's guys, and I also love Shaq Mason as well. But it's Grady Jarrett's been been a beast for the Falcons, and and again another guy. I don't know what is up with at least until recently, under-drafting Clemson guys.
5: Yeah, I don't really quite get how it fell that far. And I also thought, like you said, Mike, uh, Adrian Amos, I thought about him, but having thought they just taken ha-ha Clinton Dix the year before, I decided to go with the defensive line to beef up the front a little bit.
4: Well, if I remember right, Clemson wasn't quite really good yet. Like, they were always a decent team, but they hadn't had their major Deshaun Watson runs yet, and, then obviously yeah. touchdown Jesus, that is Trevor Lawrence, QB one. <laughs> um so I think That's so Ross, <laughs> I, Ross can come find me. Um but also I mean Grady was a, li- a slightly undersized at only three hundred and five pounds for a defensive tackle. So that could be part of the reason why he felt he's six foot three oh five. So but I mean, yeah, he's developed into one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL.
3: Alright, so who you got next?
5: In uh, the fifth round, uh, they took Brett Hunley. I'm going to get him some secondary help and set him to take Quandre Diggs. Uh, he can play cornerback or safety. He has nine interceptions over the last three seasons. Not sure how big of an impact he would have made as a rookie, but I definitely think he could have helped in 2016 when the Tigers got run out of the building in the NFC Championship game against the Falcons. Where was Diggs
4: originally picked? 200. Wow. I was sitting here looking like shortly after because
5: that's roughly where your picks had been. I'm like, where'd he go? <laughs> yeah, I was struggling with the final and then I came across Condre Diggs. I'm like, well, that's the home runner in there. I got to go with him.
3: Yeah, first thing went, first that went through my mind would have been Jesse James, actually, because this is the point where they're still looking to replace Finley. But Diggs is a good slot guy and that's it's a, it's a solid pick.
5: I thought about uh, Jesse James, or even uh, I can't remember what the other tight end was CJ Usama. I thought about him as well, but it decided to go secondary help instead.
4: That's a good pick. I was looking at Grady Jarrett's mock draftable, and other than height and arm length, this guy was just popped off the board. Like, he was in the 9th percentile for height and 19th percentile for arm length, so I think that could be a part of the reason why. But he was, like everything else, he was like 70th percent or better, which was...
2: Hmm. It's
3: always always Mike Daniels.
4: Yeah. Minus Mike Daniels is loud and angry all the
5: time. (laughs) Okay. All right, and in the sixth round with their first of three picks, I went uh, undrafted. They took Aaron Rukowski. Here I'm going Bryce Callahan. Uh, Callahan has turned into a very solid cornerback. He missed all of last season due to injury, uh, but part of that he had four interceptions over the last two seasons, along with 12 pass deflections. And like we've talked about so many times, you can never have enough solid cornerbacks. And just like days previously, I think you could have helped Green Bay in the secondary in 2016.
3: Yeah, you're you're pretty much on there, Rob. Like we said, all all podcasts, you can never have too many too many defensive backs, and and has been a solid player. He wouldn't, he probably would be starting over guys, especially if guys like Shields stay healthy. But he's a good mm-hmm. depth guy to have. He's a good, he'd be a good special teamer. And again, when you get to these sixth, seventh round picks, they're lottery tickets. They're guys who you you hope hit, you hope can stick around. And if you can find guys like that, you, again, you you run that pick to the table and you make sure that they're wearing your jersey.
4: And then he also gives, he's been a really good slot guy. Like I know that's largely been how he was deployed with uh, the with Bears Fangio. Yeah, the Bears. I was like, yeah. where did he play? Yeah, under Fangio and stuff and whatnot. And also that would have given them a transition for post Casey Hayward because this was Casey's last season in Green Bay. Yeah. And if, and if you want to move on from him, you have a slot corner in the wings waiting.
5: And then the next pick in the sixth round, uh, I think Trevor Simeon instead of Christian Ringo. Uh, Simeon uh, started 14 games for the Broncos, the team went, and the team went eight and six that season. Uh, started 10 games in 2017. They went 5-5 five and five during those starts. Uh, I think he would have been a solid backup for Aaron Rodgers when he went down with those injuries. Uh, it would have been very interesting to see what Mike McCarthy could have done with him as well.
3: Yeah, pretty pretty much. It would have been interesting to see how he would have developed. I, I was wondering if you're going to go maybe Bobby Hart here, but yeah, it's a is is something. It's starting to become a little more slim pickings, but yeah, Simeon still in the NFL. Start covering out a role. He put up big numbers at Northwestern, and he's he's a guy where he you know he you know you're going to get. A solid backup who's not going to lose you the game, and that's what you want out of a
2: backup.
4: Yeah, he was he was a safe player. Uh, good pick. I thought you might go with a couple. There's a couple other undrafted guys that you might be getting to a little later on. So I so I don't want to spoil any of them. But I I think that he would have given them a better option than Brett Hundley ever was. Uh, and then yeah, he would be in the quarterback school with McCarthy, and who knows how his career would have turned out. Instead, like because he's super super smart out of Northwestern and whatnot.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, speaking of Bobby Hart, I did think about taking him, only though so I could reference the wedding singer, Robbie Hart. So that's the only reason why I was thinking of him. He was someone that came across my mind. But, yeah, that's a good lineman, too, that I can play guard or tackle. That I definitely crossed my mind for that pick. But with the last pick, uh, sixth round, another undrafted guy, instead of Kennard Backman, I took Anthony Harris. Uh, the depth chart behind Morgan Burnett and Clinton Dix at that time, left a lot to be desired. You know, Mike can hike a drop, I can play safety as he's proven with the Bills. Um, but Harris, I think he could have helped out special teams right away. Over the last two seasons, he's had picked off nine passes. I think he had six this past season. So I think this is one of those guys where you just give him a guy that could be a deaf player and become a star, which he's kind of become for the Vikings.
4: I have one
5: major gripe that
4: I just noticed. Uh, you left off Lyle Collins, who is Yeah. Been, yeah.
5: Yeah, I definitely left him Pretty, out. pretty good. Uh, when I was going through the undrafted, because um, that's when I was starting to struggle in the sixth round. I'm like, who am I going to take with these guys? So I went to the undrafted, and I saw Wild Collins. I'm like, well, maybe I should have went with him instead. But decided like I, to go with uh, Anthony Harris.
4: I think I may have taken him over Trevor Simeon. Like, because wasn't the because I mean the only reason he didn't get drafted was because of that whole like off the field thing. And yeah, if you can go, yes, I understand. 2020, but that's the whole point of this exercise. You could have gotten a legitimate starter who has now started at guard and tackle, and been pretty consistent out there. And he was, wasn't he viewed as a first-round pick in that class if he if he actually like doesn't have that issue?
3: Yeah, I mocked him in the first round that year.
4: Thank you. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's the only gripe I'm going to take with this.
5: Yeah, no, I uh, definitely missed the ball on him when I was going back and looking at all the undrafted players because I was just scrolling through just the top ones, and he must have not been at the very bottom because this was released in 2015 right after the draft. And I was like, oh, there's Lyle Collins. I should have put him in there, but I decided to stick with who I originally put in there. But, yeah, like you said, Lyle Collins is one of those guys that could have come in, played guard, our tackle, probably would be playing right tackle right now instead of Brian Bulaga.
4: Would have given them a definite upgrade over Justin McCray at guard.
3: <laughs> Don't you dare research the yeah. name of
4: Justin McCray. I will besmirch it all day long, Mike. Don't even start.
3: <laughs> our po- <laughs> our podcast partners are gonna are gonna find you. will <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Come for me. I'm at G
4: NFL on Twitter.
3: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, they, but either way, yeah, I like I like what what you've done with this class and. Really anything to shine up the turd that was 2015 is, is going to be a positive
5: thing. I think uh, just getting Eric Henderson in the first round would have made up for the whole terribleness of this draft. This was a terrible draft class looking back on it. Ted Thompson, I, I think if anybody follows me or has any interaction with me, I defend Ted Thompson to the day. I think he should have a street named after him. he think he did a really good job of building a team, but this 2015 class is just, boy, what a skid mark. And, like, he was terrible, but this it's not just him. Like, this draft was just bad.
4: This is a bad draft.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Like, there's so much undrafted talent here. Anthony Harris, who just got the franchise tag. Lyle Collins, who his case was weird. A.J. Johnson was really good last year. Rick Roboto, starting long snapper.
5: There's multiple yeah that went undrafted in this class. After I got past the Grady Garrett pick, I was struggling to find players that I was like, okay, well, who am I going to put in here instead of these other guys? Quentin Spann's another
4: example. In, mm-hmm. or Span's fan, whatever. He's been, he's, he was undrafted. He's been a starter for multiple teams. I wanted Green Bay to sign him last offseason. They ended up going with Billy Turner instead, which is fine, but
3: and, and Raheem Mostert was
4: in his class too. Yeah. Tyrell Williams, multi-time starter.
3: And you talked about Lyle Collins undrafted. In the seventh round, there's also Trent Brown. Yep. Who went to San Francisco. And he he's now become I think the highest paid tackle in football.
4: Until Larry Mietusle broke the and broke the yes. records for everything.
3: I should, I should
2: say free, yep. age,
3: free agent deal I should say. That's yeah. Yeah, now he got paid a big old
4: contract. Denzel Good was a decent starter for Indianapolis. I know that doesn't really apply to you guys. I only know because I watched Colts football because I live in Indiana. But he was good. He's not bad, and he's out of a cool named school named Mars Hill. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, twenty tw- fifteen was the original twenty twenty. It's it was a weird. It was an interesting year. A bad draft, and we're still trying to figure out what's going on. So we've got three redrafts. Again, hindsight again is pun not intended. Twenty twenty. And, and if I'm sure all these guys will be picked in different spots as if we look back nine, seven, and five years. But it's always fun to look at what could have been and to think about what the Packers could have done and could have maybe gotten them another ring. So with that, we will start to wrap things up. And Gage, you said you're totally handle, but where can people find you and what are you working on?
4: Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at GBridgefordNFL. I'm working on some stuff for uh, Dynasty Nerds. For those that don't know, I do fantasy football writing. I'm working on a couple things for Rotoballer. Those will probably be out at the beginning of next week. Uh, I'm getting ready to update my Dynasty Nerds rankings. Uh, and I'm also starting to grind film on the 2021 class. I'm putting out – I try to put out one or two film clips every day. Right now I'm working on quarterbacks. And Trey Lance's QB2, by the way. So that's – so just for everyone that wants to know. Trevor Lawrence is QB1, Trey Lance is QB2, and then I don't – the rest of it doesn't matter to me right now.
3: Fair enough. Bre- Brennan, what are you working on?
5: Uh, I'm doing the, kind of the same thing Gage is doing. I'm doing working on 2021 20, NFL draft stuff. I actually just interviewed the Wake Forest wide receivers coach Kevin Higgins on stage to rot, So that article will be coming hopefully soon here. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at Royal underscore Rupp,
3: All right, and you can find me on Twitter at Mike Um I'm, I'm still hoping to get back to doing some stuff from Dairyland Express again. Otherwise, just keep on listening to me every Sunday for the Pack podcast. And, of course, listen, listen to us every day at Pack day podcast. Find us on Twitter. Also find us wherever podcasts can be found as well. So that will say so long for now, everyone. Stay tuned for more content tomorrow from Andy Herman. Stay safe, always carry the G, and go Pack-Go.